Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Above the Bar podcast, the show about a middle-aged father, current events, and how these things affect my everyday life. Alrighty, folks, welcome to another episode of the Above the Bar podcast. We are here today, very special Wednesday, a lot of things happen, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, and and we brought the right person, so if you're going to announce things, you're going to talk about things, you're going to prep the crowd, an important thing at all times is to have a good MC, and you don't want somebody like me whose only MC would probably be, you know, this would be my best one would be like, ladies and gentlemen, get your money together because coming to the stage, here it is. It's diamond. Like that's about as best I'm going to get you. But we brought Scott Edwards. R, I like, and I like the R Scott Edwards. I like that even better. Mr. R Scott Edwards of Scott Comedy Stuff. Uh, he's got his MC website. He's got a little bit of everything. Scott, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. Wow, this is so exciting. I'm in a bar. I've got my cocktail. We've got uh, Sean in the room. It looks like you're in the basement, but uh, hey, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Good to be here. That's enough of that. Okay. Hey, we got a high energy show. We're going to have some fun. And already, Cody's already out there. Hi, Cody. Hey, Cody. she She does the trans dance and she's got her thing going, but we've got some pretty big things to announce. So as, as always, we oh and Miss Jeanette, we we love our Miss Jeanette. We've got a lot of big things to announce here today. So let's run through this so we can talk to Scott and find out about what it takes to run a comedy club. And and hopefully you all saw some of the pictures. One of the uh, he actually in the pictures, go back and look, was standing next to, and he's gonna find this probably is I'm not a fan of the one comedian he was standing with. I'm a fan of the other one. So you'll have to go back and see that, or maybe we'll bring that up here in a minute. So first thing we always need to do, folks, as always with any of our shows, let's take a moment, go on online here, and make sure you share this to every single website you can think of, all the sites that are out there. Make sure that you kick kicked off of all your yard sale sites, because that's all that really matters, because we all know that you want to buy somebody's used whatever all their old Tupperware. So as I'm doing this, the other thing we've got is, as always, folks, over my shoulder, uh, we've got the big silver board sticker and a cause. If you've got a thing, you got something you care about, whether it's a local charitable organization, you have a club that you belong to, maybe you're supporting your comedy club or your comedy uh, career, like we have our Tim Miller stickers here. Uh, you've got something going on. Uh, whatever it happens to be, make sure you take a moment, hit me up on Instagram. That's uh, the above the bar podcast or Twitter at above the bar for, as always, make sure you're hitting that like, share, subscribe, five stars, doing all those things. Cause that's the only way anybody finds out about this thing, but let me know. Hey Murph. Hey Sean, I've got this thing. I'll take, you send me a sticker and we'll read about that thing here live on the air. So everyone can know about it, everyone can find out about it, and know what's happening. Now, the other thing with all this said, we have our first official sponsor. If you looked this week, and you saw all the cool stuff with Scott's face, 
all the different things we were putting up. And none of them had drawings on Scott's face because I didn't do it. It would have been bad if I'd have done it. But uh, all of you that know Andrew Dibble came on, talked to us about uh, doing uh, Twitter or not Twitter, but Twitch and becoming big with Twitch. Well, he's got Media by Dibs, your connection for all things media from logos to marketing campaigns to flyers and more. Making your ideas a reality. Mention the phrase belly up to the bar. I think if you say it in any way, shape, or form, if you're like, I want to belly up to the bar, uh, I need you to record it also as you say belly up to the bar because I just want to hear other adults say it besides me. But uh, Andrew is going to give you 10% off your first order and a free consultation on what it takes to get your stuff done. So go look at our new media. Andrew's going to be taking over a lot of the media each week, uh, helping, helping put our stuff together. But he is our first official sponsor. So at this point, everybody should have shared, shared away to all your yard sale sites, making everyone go, why on God's green earth do I have this? This is crazy. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll like this. Now, do you do anything like that, Scott, on your shows? Because you've got your podcast is what? Is what? Oh, my podcast is what? <laughs> I have the is what podcast. Uh, my podcast is stand-up comedy. You're hosting MC, and it's a celebration of uh, stand-up comedy through the 80s and 90s with interviews of uh, either retired or working stand professional stand-up comics uh, today. Now you let's let's not let's not downplay the uh, the comics that were that are on here, like. Give us an example of like names that are coming on here or because you ran a comedy club for how many years? So I started my club in 1980. Yes, I'm that old. And it when I opened, it was the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire United States. It was before the rock and roll wave of stand-up comedy. To give you an idea, the very first opening act on my stage, making $100 for a week of work, it was his first out-of-town gig out of Phoenix, Arizona, was Gary Shandling. Really? You may know that name from movies and TV at the Larry Sanders show, the Gary Shandling show. And the headliner that week was the godfather of comedy, George Wallace. He had his own stage show in Las Vegas for over 12 years. Now, Gary, this is the theme to Gary's show. <laughs> this is Gary's show. He called me up and asked if I would write his theme song. It's almost halfway finished. How do you like it so, so far? This is the theme to Gary Shandlin show. I, you think I watched it a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Uh, he, you know, I really lucked out. I connected with uh, Bob Saget and Dave Coulier early on. And not only were they like mentors to me uh, and good friends, Dave Coulier was at my uh, bachelor party. Bob Saget and I did uh, acted and directed in some early TV commercials together. But they introduced me to a whole host of uh, very special entertainers back in the early 80s. And I had a chance to work with the best, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, Yakov Smirnoff, uh, and as I mentioned, Bob Saget, Dave Coulier. The list goes on and on. Now, when you mention Bob Saget, I always think about, um, is he not the most misunderstood comedian of today? Because he was he was the dad. Yeah, Dan, right. Danny Dan. on uh, Full House and Dan then Fuller House. Right. He, you know, he is he was put the paper towels away, make sure everything's folded up right, all those things. Folks, if you didn't know, he's one of the bluest comedians 
out there. And if you don't know what that means, take a moment, go look up what a blue comedian is. Yeah, he's a little risque. Uh, When they did the movie, The Aristocrats, he was the considered the winner or the dirtiest uh, presentation of that joke. It's a famous old Catskills joke and about 30 different comics did a version of it. And Bob Saget's was considered the uh, the rankest or dirtiest. But what's interesting is that he was playing this really clean cut TV dad. And then he would come and play my club and the moms would call him and say, oh, I want to bring my 12 year old daughter to the show. Like no, no, this is this is uh, uh, all adult content, and he wasn't like uh, using f bombs, uh, you know, here and there. He had real actual material. It just happened to be very edgy and a little dirty. He also, a lot of people don't know, is a really good musician, and he used to sing a lot of song parodies. But what he would do is take a song and make it as dirty as possible. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like when when people are like, "Oh, Bob Saget." I'm like, no, Bob Saget. You don't let your children listen to Bob Saget <laughs> at all. There's Andrew's up here. He's bellied up to the bar. That's our Andrew Dibble or from Media by Dibble. And, and always uh, Miss Amanda Love stopping by uh, wherever all the ladies are. It looks like hey, a lot well, of I, Andrew, I wrote down the name of your company. I was just telling uh, Sean, I've been on over uh, 20 podcasts as a guest, and this by far had the best promotion and marketing and i was complimenting him and now that he told me his secret sauce uh i'll be reaching out to you because you're doing a great job for him and i'm going to just take a second uh because i know it's part of your uh backstory but you didn't mention it in the beginning and and i think it's something to celebrate ladies and gentlemen sean is a u.s marine and i just think we got to say thank you for your service and and the fact that you put all this together into a podcast and are out there reaching out not only as a dad uh, and as a, obviously a guy that likes bars but also as a retired marine uh, i'm really proud to be a part of your show well i i appreciate that good sir thank you very much and we're actually see we're for those of you that watch the live we switched it up today i'm not drinking bourbon Oh, so, so funny because I am. <laughs> you, see, I'm, I normally would have bourbon in front of me, but today we switched it up, and it's uh, it's beer today. I I, I switched it up. Well, you know, you have a high-ranking uh, guest like me. I think beer fits. <laughs> Look, a, a, there it is. Look, and, and as 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 I say that, Andrew semp- gives it a good semperfy, and then my Jeanette knows no telemar dude tonight. I don't. I have a uh, wrench. It's a great. So that now you're on the left coast, right? Uh, yes, it took me a second. Yes, you're on the left coast. Do you? It's like, scary uh, to be you guys here. Have good, like this is such a upstate New York where we're at in the Albany area, and such a um, like this portion. We have like incredibly good, high end, snotty, snooty beer, like like to a level that you can't understand that people will like follow beer trucks around to get these things. Like in California, I imagine you, you follow, you follow wherever the dispensary guys go in to get the right stuff. You know, here in, in, in New York, it's, it, you follow the, the beer guy around. Do they have well, beer in California? Yeah. I'm in central California. We are known for really good snooty wine. Uh, I will say that the uh, uh, beer, the brewery concept has slowly caught on 
and my wife and I enjoy a good uh, porter or ale, and we, we try to find the right places. But it, even in the summer, a lot of uh, – even the breweries won't carry a, a good stout, you know, and, and I find that challenging. I, I like a, a beer that's also a meal. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? Guinness is actually one of the lowest-calorie beers. Oh, really? It's a, it, For as dark and as heavy as Guinness seems, it's actually a low-calorie beer. Uh, but I'm actually a fan of – have you ever had Murphy's Irish Stout? No, I have not, but uh, I'm putting it on my list. <laughs> that's it. That's another good one. I'm, I, well, it helps that like I grew up, my parents owned a liquor store and a bar as I grew up. No, really? No, seriously. And Maryland's like a weird, Maryland's one of those states where um, we don't have ABC stores. I don't know if you know what that is. That's a yeah. big, but we don't have ABC stores. You have bars and you can have a liquor store and a liquor store sells beer, but they're not open on Sundays. And the, I don't know if it is this way or not, but you couldn't get, uh, you couldn't buy anything on Sunday. So you had to like stack on Saturday if you were going to drink oh, on Sunday, unless you yeah. went to a bar and then you we could don't buy have things bar. like that. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Northern California and, um, you know, there's plenty of liquor stores and bars. So I'm not aware of that kind of uh, regimentation to sales. When I decided to open a bar, I did open my first bar as a beer wine, and then we converted to full liquor. And then when I I ended up with a chain of clubs, I had three of them. Uh, they were all full bar, full restaurant, full food service. Um, but it was all we didn't open until like uh, five in the afternoon, and we were always done by uh, nine ten o'clock on the uh, uh, weeknights and about two in the morning on the weekend. So. We weren't going for the food sales or even the liquor sales. Our idea was get them in, get the money, and kick them out. <laughs> so now was it – now that's – see, now I, I have to tell you, Scott, it's like these things are fascinating to me that you're talking about, and Jeanette's telling you right now, see, this is a, a local brewery. Founders does an oatmeal breakfast stout. So Yeah, oatmeal stouts are can be really good. My wife likes the coffee stouts and uh, uh, hard, hard beers. I'm not a coffee drinker, but there's some – chocolate based ones one of my favorites a macadamia macadamia nut uh stout that is is amazing but uh i think every region uh, i mean i would love to come to where you are and try some of your beers i bet they're uh much better than some of the uh stuff we can get around here at times well, but you never know uh you, you I'll know make you a deal. i'll make you a deal yeah if you find your, if you find your way to the right coast <laughs> and you get out here especially around this area. I promise you, we will find somewhere. We will sit down and have many. We'll try many a different adult beverage. Sounds we'll good. Guys from uh new Scotland distillery to bring some of their whiskey. Or oh, or pick come over. Like this is just a unique area for that. But you bring that up that. So you owned you. You've been in this. I don't want to say entertainment, but as somebody who grew up with parents who owned a liquor store and, and our bar was had, a, had a raw bar to it. It had a, you know, you could order food from it, things like that. It had a kitchen. So that really is entertainment. Food is entertainment, especially today. Uh, one of my, you know, heroes, I guess heroes, right. word to use? I was a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. Uh, loved Anthony Bourdain. You know, he turned food into An entertainment. Yeah. yeah. It was an event. You know, what, me trying something at a at a food cart outside of a you know 
you know, it used to be dirty water dogs or something like that. And nobody cared about it, but now like he helped <laughs> turn that into an event. What was that like for you? Like, when did you start like owning restaurants and bars? Cause I also want to talk about the other side to this is you've written TV shows, correct? I produced uh, three TV series, uh, did some radio. Uh, I've I've kind of played. When I had um, the comedy clubs were very successful in the 80s, I made my share of money, and I used that to do unique things. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to read my one sheet, but I owned a submarine for a couple of years. Yep. I had a beach shack in Hawaii, uh, but I that did. That was the thing, the beach shack in Hawaii. Like yeah, it was amazing. I was a single male working this beach shack with all the pretty young ladies on the beach. It was uh, it was a tough job. <laughs> However, did you get through those days? Yeah, it was challenging. But what I was trying to say was uh, I'm an, a serial entrepreneur. My first company was a small construction company. Then in the disco days, I was doing portable music. Uh, I opened up the comedy clubs in 1980. I carried that until 2000. And one, so 21 years. And during that time, I'm sorry? What was the name of the comedy club? Laughs Unlimited, an all-comedy showroom. I've heard of Laughs Unlimited. Oh, well, it is uh, famous in the left coast. (laughs) And uh, it had we had an opportunity to work with a lot of celebrities. Uh, Robin Williams hit my stage twice. Uh, Oh, here's a great story that uh, uh, most people don't know. In uh, really early on, there was a little-known actor who was preparing for his very first sitcom, Bosom Buddies, and while trying out and pr- getting ready for the show, he came to my club. You may have heard of him, Tom Hanks. Heard of once or twice. Yeah, he uh, came to my club because he had to do a, a comedy set on Bosom Buddies, and while I taught him technique, Bob Saget wrote a material and ended up doing a five-minute set on Bosom Buddies, and it was all from his week at my club. And uh, that that little claim to fame uh, in connection with Tom Hanks. Not, not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he remembers the situation. He probably doesn't remember me, but uh, he's 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 done okay. Did, did all right. Well, I mean, Amanda Love is a is a big Bosom Buddy fan only because she's concerned that Tom Hanks does drag better than Amanda Love does. <laughs> I have to ask when we see each other this weekend. I'll have to ask him. I have to ask her if she who does it better. So, well, I mean, now you said I, a, a word I got to ask you about. Sure. And I've always been curious to this word, and I need a good definition serial entrepreneur, because I've heard this term used a lot of times. And I've heard people say, well, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Where does it go from serial entrepreneur to you just can't run anything? Like what? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, well, like, like what differentiate? Yeah, that's a great question, Sean. What differentiates people like me, the A type personality that likes, you know, gets almost as much enjoyment opening a business as running a business, uh, and selling them. I open them and sell them. Um, is that a serial entrepreneur is not so much worried about always doing the same thing. So, for example, if a guy that opens a restaurant successful and he opens another restaurant and opens another restaurant, he's an entrepreneur. But if you have a construction company, a portable music company, a chain of comedy clubs, a submarine, a restaurant, an art gallery, uh, an insurance agency, uh, a, a travel agency, all these different businesses that I've owned and started. Oh, we're getting a little feedback. Um 
I lost you. You got. I lost your audio. So, oh. Uh, we we still got no. I I we've lost Scott. Your mic's your mic is muted. Let me see if I can unmute you. You're muted. Um, unmute. Cannot unmute uh, your guest mic. The best the guest isn't connected. It says your mic isn't connected. So at least your headphones are connected and you can hear me. We had this is how this works, folks. This is how how they get you to buy their their tapes and everything is. They they tell you. Oh, you're back. Yeah, I just I had to do something. I'm sorry, Sean. Everybody, be patient. This is live. This is what lives are all about. <laughs> Thanks for putting in the uh, the uh, trombone. That was perfect. So I was saying something. I'm sure excruciating important, uh, but uh, it 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 really is all about. Uh, my theory was doing stuff that I had fun. I wanted to have fun with life. I just find, you know, and, and that's one of those things, you know, I hear that term all the time, uh, you know, especially you do, you know, you do podcasts, you see like these different websites that are out there. Oh, you know, you can, you know, this guest wants to come on, that one wants to come on. They're a serial entrepreneur. They're a serial entrepreneur. And you're like, I was always like, what is, what are you doing that you're, you're closing a business and opening it? But isn't that really the goal, you know, it, for, I guess that's my idea of always what I've thought about being a business owner. I would love to open something, get it running, have it making money and sell it off to somebody else so I can go do something else because I don't want to, because when it starts to suck, I don't want to be there. Well, not so much suck, but after you've done it for a while, you've done it for a while, right? I mean, Laughs Unlimited, my comedy club is still operating today. I sold it in 2001. It's had two owners since I sold it. And I'm very proud that it, it just passed a 40-year mark. It's one of the oldest clubs in the country. So not only one of the first, but still one of the oldest. But I had been there. I'd done that. The audiences were changing, so I moved on. Um, I, I My wife would tell you that I'm a little crazy, but um, I get bored with something, and I'm ready to do the next thing. So, you know, I'll run a business for five or ten years, and then, okay, what's next? And so, like, right now... I'm doing podcasting. I have my website, scottscomedystuff.com, where there's an online comedy course. There's a membership site where you can watch videos of Bob Saget and uh, Dana Carvey on stage. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm always looking for that next adventure, kind of like you are doing now, Sean, to be honest. I, I love my I, – I love – so this is something for me. I've always been told I talk too much, so I figure <laughs> – why not why not find a place where i can do it and talk to people and then i was also told i'm only good in small doses so <laughs> i figured most people like me for this amount of time and then after it's over with they can say great things about me because they haven't dealt with me much more beyond that so i think it's perfect yeah well it, it you do have to have the gift of gab one of the things that uh anybody that worked for me would tell you is that in the early days I was just like any other struggling comic looking to find my voice on stage. But, well, you know, after a few years of it, uh, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the engagement of the audience, the, the love you feel, the energy you feel from the audience. And by the uh, 90s, I was no longer booking opening acts because I was doing 15 minutes up front. Oh, wow. So I would just have a featured act and a headliner because I was doing the warm up. <laughs> now, not not everybody enjoyed that as much, but I did. <laughs> now, this, 
Jeanette's and this is why Jeanette is my co-host without being my co-host. This is why I love her. I don't have to think of important things. Jeanette wants to know, did you work with just American comedians or did you work with international? We know Yakov Smirnov, who if you don't know who Yakov was, he wrote an amazing book back in the 80s. Uh, how to how does something in, in America with 20 rubles or something like that? It was, it was something <laughs> along those lines. He was regularly on night court um, with Jim J with uh, Jim J not Jim J Bullock. Uh, God, what was his Harry name? Anderson. Harry Anderson. Thank you. Uh, was regularly on night court and just, you know, he was a regular guy. You saw him on comedy stuff. He was always hitting the big scenes. Uh, Yakov Smirnoff was amazing. Yeah. Ronald Reagan, uh, named him, uh, America's treasure, uh, which was really, uh, special because he was literally a Russian immigrant. In fact, I was one of the first clubs he worked when he came over. He was an opening act at my club, still learning English when he came to work for me. And uh, we just interviewed him. It's in my podcast list. Check it out. Great stories. But to answer Jeanette's question, uh, Kelly Monteith, who had his own show in England for over 10 years, uh, was a regular at my club. Um, we had, oh, uh, you're going to love this, Sean, because you're the right age. Were you ever a fan of Monty Python? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, you had to be, right? Yeah. So I was a huge Monty Python fan. I actually had a chance to book Graham Chapman, one of the original Monty Python troupe, and he came to my club twice and spoke on his stories of, uh, you know, hanging out with the Beatles and the Stones and what it was like making uh, In Search of the Holy Grail and stuff like that. It was, it was, you know, I was meeting my hero, but he was from England. Kelly Monteith was from England. Yakov from Russia, but overall. Overall, they were American-based uh, comics. Quite a few came out of Canada, but uh, um, I don't know if I could, you know, uh, name any off the top of my head. Well, I, I, I may have to kick you off here in a minute, Scott, because if with Jeanette saying, oh, my gosh, I love Kelly Monteith, I, I can't have you stealing my number one fan. You know, oh, <laughs> Jeanette, he was uh, a great guy, and I interviewed him, and it came out in uh, – the late fall, uh, look in December or January of this last this last year and find his um, interview. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, sadly, Kelly had a stroke uh, a few months back. Is not doing too well. We, we sent some money to help support him. But uh, if you get a chance, check out the podcast interview on stand-up comedy host and MC. If you're a fan of Kelly Monteith, you'll love his uh, interview. And uh, the book will... Amanda Love went and looked the book up for us. It's America on six rubles a day. I knew yeah. it was something along those lines. Um, so now you brought up Monty Python. We have to do this real quick because I love movies. And I think I've seen every Monty Python movie. If there's one I haven't seen, I don't know what it is. Favorite Monty Python movie? Well, it's still the Holy Grail, but it, only because I could probably do it word for word. I've seen it so many times, but they had some amazing movies but even i'm such a fan i was uh, uh really enjoyed faulty towers their british tv show where they really got their learn their trade did you ever watch an original faulty tower show I don't, I I don't think i ever have i was a life with brian guy oh okay brian there's nothing better than the life with brian oh yeah no that's that's great you know um there there's some Really good. Um, if you go to the the Google or, or YouTube and look up Faulty Towers, 
they had little half-hour shows in England that were just so out there. The BBC wasn't sure what to do with them, but they, they turned themselves into stars, much like Kelly Monteith. So, so you know, I, I really find the comedy club thing just so fascinating to me. The uh, Just the entire concept that, like you said, there was only 11. You were number 12. You were the 12th apostle of comedy club. <laughs> you never the, thought of it that way. You were the 12th apostle of comedy clubs. Uh, there was nobody, you know, and that was nationally. We're not, and, and obviously they were probably, you know, New York, LA, and then maybe a spattering somewhere well, else. Yeah, and when I opened, there was a couple in New York, a couple in LA, a couple in San Francisco, one in Boston, but I was the 12th. Now keep in mind, stand-up comedy before 1980, like in the 60s and 70s, was really just an entertainment break for jazz clubs and strip clubs. So a lot of the early uh, Catskills-type comics were either working those kind of resorts or they were the break in between jazz clubs or strip clubs in between strippers. It was not considered a really valid art form. And then in the late seventies, it just started clicking. And when I opened, uh, for example, I said I was the 12th club in 1980 by 1986, it was like Starbucks and there was a club on every corner. Like every disco became a comedy club. <laughs> now, now you, you, and, and, I'll have to go find me some faulty towers because Andrew said his wife Cheryl loves faulty towers and he spelled it correctly, F W L T Y. Uh, and then Jeanette says they called it farty towels when <laughs> you used to call it. Uh, if you didn't figure it out, Jeanette is originally from Jolly Old England and actually oh. she, Tally so, that's, so that's why she asked that that question. Um, and uh, and she this and I love this. This is so great to say. She used to live in Papua New Guinea. Ah, Papua New Guinea. See, I was used to the uh, cousin. Yeah, cousin New Guinea. Cousin New Guinea. Um, but you know, and obviously not looking for you to. And you you said it yourself. The rock star comedians of today. Um, as you were watching the club change over twenty years. So you watched it go from, you know, Red Fox being that important, uh, George Carlin being that important to Red Fox going to jail for tax evasion, George Carlin doing uh, Thomas the uh, Thomas the Train a, as the the host, and these guys that were were truly edgy. I think they would be edgy today, personally. I mean, you still watch people well, with Carlin videos. What do you think about them compared to today's comedian that's that's trying to just sound? I, I feel like today's comedians, a lot of them want to sound edgy. Right, right. And they're doing it the wrong way. I, one of the reasons I sold my club was both the audience and the comics were changing. And, and I was getting older. It wasn't as much fun. But... Um, you know, I don't think it's funny to say I went to the frickin' store to get some frickin' bread because it was frickin' Tuesday. And you hear way too much of that in comedy these days. But also, the audience have changed. Imagine somebody like Don Rickles in this woke society. He would be, you know, tarred and feathered, right? He could not do his material. A, a, a far more uh, uh, newer comic, uh, the pitbull of comedy, Bobby Slayton, one of my favorite regulars, 
constantly tore up the audience. I mean, really funny, but it was all uh, uh, interaction with the audience. He can't work anymore because the audience is, oh, you didn't like my sweater, you know, and, and they're out of there. Mickey Mouse was in the club. What the hell? <laughs> Sorry, my voice gets high. Here. Look, Donald, they don't like us in the club. <laughs> Thanks anymore. for calling oh. me on that. Look, Donald, they don't like my ears. Get <laughs> camera out there in California, he'll come get you. But you know, uh, you bring it up like Don Rickles. I love Don Rickles. He was Mr. A Wonderful himself. Don Rickles. And if and actually somebody told me, um, and I don't know, I, I could never quite get it, but Jim Norton is Don Rickles' son. Oh, I didn't know that. I think that's what it is. So if you ever listen to uh and in a perfect example of trying to be edgy to be edgy is um is thanks amanda you're right it is uh what's his name is um opie and anthony used to have the radio show opie and anthony show i always felt like they were being edgy to be edgy Uh like and i think people who, who understand what i'm saying like like george carlin was edgy because he pointed out to you the things that were going on in your face and going are you really that silly that you don't see this that was right, and he, and he swore he he did the famous bit, the seven words you can't say on yep. TV and radio, but he was doing it to be poignant. He wasn't doing it for shock humor. You know, uh, imagine uh, Sam Kennison or Bobcat Goldthwait and what they did back in the 80s and 90s compared to what uh, we have are seeing now in, in 2021. It's a different age, and not only are the comics different and struggling to find the right way to approach this audience. But the biggest challenge is the audience has changed. Now, I, I regularly interview stand-ups, and I have a clubhouse room every Monday at 6 where we talk about comedy. And it is one of the challenges for professional comics. You never know who's going to be in the audience. And the pendulum has swung so far to where everybody's insulted I'm hoping that the pendulum is starting to come back and we can go back to just being real people. And that means, you know, it should be okay for me to pick on myself or pick on something if I'm doing it in a lighthearted way. Nobody's trying to hurt someone's feelings. We're just making fun of our normal uh, piccadillies, right? Right. Well, that's, you know, you you bring up the great point that the the comedian, I don't want to call it a safe space because there's the other side to the coin. The guy who played uh, Kramer on Seinfeld. I don't. I I know who they are. I just I'm horrible with names with most things. I'm that guy that goes. You know that person from that show. You remember the one? It was pretty funny. It was good. <laughs> I, I oh, that guy. That guy. You know the one. Um, I, I'm making my wife hopefully bring me a new shirt. This shirt is driving me nuts because the next like uh like I feel I feel like that commercial where the guy and the girl are sitting across from each other. And he's got the yeah, and he's his shirt, and this is like, and it's like a good fitting shirt. Well, I think the the ladies in the audience aren't really listening to us because they're overcome by the white skin of your neck, looking like Pale Rider (laughs) himself, the only person in the world who's actually iridescent. Um, (laughs) But uh, well, these are all great topics, and and it's important that people like you, Sean, bring it out in a podcast that 
uh, America and the public around the world needs to kind of wake up to, you know, if we can't laugh at ourselves, what's the point of living, right? We got to start having some fun. But uh, the podcast is the way to do it. So my podcast is a tribute to those days. And then the interviews, there you go, Michael Richards. I, I knew it was Richards. I couldn't remember his first name. Thank you. Oh, my audio um, really good. They There's only like about four of them, but they will find that shit and figure it out and let you know. <laughs> yeah, are. but can they find my watch, please? Um, so what I was trying to make the point is that podcasting, which is kind of the last bastion of free speech, is where we have an opportunity to discuss these things openly and hopefully people would hear it. He's going to slip away and change shirts. So I'll, I'll go on a monologue. And and everybody in the audience and however you happen to listen to this or share this, be sure to talk about this and get it out there. And let's try to get uh, all of us back to some normalcy. Um, I'm sorry, I'm slightly blinded. Something really white just went by the camera. But anyway, uh, let me tell you a quick story while we're doing that. I was talking about... Uh, Yakov Smirnov, you know, when he was allowed to leave Russia, you'll hear this in the interview I did with him. You can find it on my podcast. They had to go to France before they'd be allowed into the USA. So his parents and he were sitting in France with no money and they were waiting to be allowed into the U.S. So what they did is when they left Russia, they left with a suitcase of condoms, which they could get for, yeah, for about a penny each. And then they went to a flea market or like a, a vegetable market and they sold these condoms to the French for like 50 cents each, which was a real bargain in France. And uh, it was really funny because Yakov's mom would say, you know, buy these condoms or you'll end up with something like this and would point at Yakov. <laughs> oh, God. So, you know, use so a condom, you get a crazy kid. If you... Folks, I promise you, no one is tap dancing in my house right now. The dog made her made her way downstairs, and her nails on the floor sound like tap dancing. Well, I was talking; they probably didn't hear it, but I wanted to share that's that amazing. little Yakov Smirnoff you know, story. That's amazing to me because that's one of those things, like you know, you you're um, very funny, Amanda. Uh, but that's one of those kind of things where the comedy is genetic, almost like he grew up in a household where, where it happened and where it was like that. But, you know, staying on this topic, because I, I find comedy like I, you know, people talk about, you know, people would rat. What is the, the, the scariest thing in the world is this, is the publicly speak or something like that. Public uh, speaking is a big phobia. Right. So I think about comedians and how many people think, well, pff, I can go up there and tell jokes. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I sit here and I do this podcast and Scott does a podcast and we, we enjoy what we do. It's a lot of fun, but I promise you, and I have friends that have been doing this for way longer than I have. I have Herb's been doing this for over a decade. He was like an early adopter in the podcast. When I look on my screen and I don't see a number of somebody who's watching me, you won't hear it in my voice, but in my head, I'm sitting here going, I need to share this. I need to find people. I got to get someone. It's an addiction. I, you know, you did 15 minutes when you finally got your, your 15 minutes, you know, and you weren't going on the roads, God, you weren't making that. No, you know, I'm that not a comic. But, but when you got your 15 minutes, that made sense that you could get a couple good 
chuckles, giggles, and guffaws out of. You know, you could make that happen. What was that? And and this is, and I mean this. What was that drug like? Well, a, a lot of comics, and I would tell you that um, it's addicting. It's an adrenaline rush when you're on stage and you're connecting with an audience, and everything you say they react to, and they're they're engaged. Uh, there, there's nothing like it. Now, here's what's also true, though, Sean, is that everybody, me and Jay Leno and Dana Carvey, have all experienced bombing. So there's also times that you go up, and no matter how funny what you say is is thrown out there, the audience doesn't accept it or, or go along with it. So there, it's the yin and yang of show business. Uh, one of the is is an analogy of difference. Singers are really lucky because since birth, we're trained that when a person ends singing a song, even if they suck, we all applaud. Oh, well, you got through the song. We're so happy for you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. In comedy, that doesn't happen. If you're not connecting with the audience and you're not funny, they let you know. <laughs> and there could actually be, hey, I'm out of here. And, and you hear crickets, right? I don't. I don't have the crickets noise, so I have to I have to play that one for you. Uh, now, Amanda's got a great question here, and so twenty years open. Obviously, what was it? Tuesday, Thursday night, open mic, whatever it was for you. Um, have you ever seen someone? Maybe they came in now, and, and may, let me roll this back and get my thoughts together. Because did you do the TV? movie thing where you brought somebody in and you had them stand on stage do their act and then you made the determination whether they could come one did you oh we did we did we did an open mic every week we had a comedy competition for years uh, i've dealt with uh, seasoned professionals and and really like once in a lifetime amateurs uh, and that can sometimes be painful because I have an empathy for anybody that goes on stage that has the guts to go on stage. And then when they bomb or they just can't do it, I have an empathy for them because I know they really wanted to succeed and they couldn't. But um, yes, to uh, Amanda's question, uh, stage fright is a real thing. And you'd be surprised how many professional comics and even actors uh, have some level of stage fright, but what makes them a professional is that they fight through that and they perform anyway. And one of the reasons they're able to, and here's a little secret, you have to have confidence in yourself and your material. So if I have stage fright, but I know that I've been on stage 10 times and this five minute set worked, even though I have stage fright, I'm going to get myself up there and do those five minutes because I know they worked before. So there's a lot of confidence building and material building in stand-up comedy. Now, and, and if I if this is one of those questions where you, where you have to go, I cannot answer, or you can kind of skirt around the answer. <laughs> Did you ever have someone that came to the club that, and I know there's somebody. I know the one for me that I think about um, anyone that come, come to the club and go, they, everybody was like, this is the thing. Like they're the one you got to, everybody loves this person. And you were like, I don't get it. Like Dane cook. I never got Dane cook. That's me. I'm not a Dane cook guy. I, I tried to understand it. And everybody was like, Oh, his comedy's amazing. 
Yeah, comedy is one of those things that everybody has a different opinion on, and that's because it's all about connecting uh, to the audience or the person. But I'll give you an example. You ever heard of political satirist Bill Maher? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, famous guy, still out there doing his stuff. He's one of the one of only two acts in the history of twenty one year history that I fired midweek and sent home. <laughs> so take that, Bill Maher. You're a rich billionaire, and I'm not. So bleh. yeah, yeah. You're you're part of the catalyst for Bill Maher being as great as he is. This fucking Scott Edwards thinks he's fucking somebody. Fire me. I'll be damned. <laughs> yeah, he he just. Uh, very funny guy. Obviously, he knows his stuff when it comes to politics, but he forgot the golden rule of entertainment, and that is that the entertainer is there for the audience. The audience isn't there for you. So his the problem, the reason I fired him is that he was on stage doing his political stuff, throwing out names of politicians in D.C. and talking about really current events, and the audience just wanted to laugh, and they weren't really getting his stuff, and so he just wasn't doing well. And instead of fighting through it or adjusting to the audience, which is what a pro does, he stopped mid-show and said, you know, you're all just stupid here, and I'm out of here. And he walked off stage. Wow. And I go, whoa, they paid to be entertained. You're getting paid to entertain them. You can't just say, hey, you're stupid and walk off. Get your ass out of here. And I fired him. So now, now what do you do? And Nate, you're absolutely right. I get stage fright before every show because I'm trying to figure out, is this going to be, I can tell you right now for me and Scott's phenomenal. I wish all my guests were like Scott and we're not trying to, you know, top each other off today. Um, I can tell you right now, I can't tell you my guests I've had that never share a single thing that I tag them in, never acknowledge a single thing I tag them in. Never. Uh, when I tell them, Hey, look, I need you to be there 10 minutes prior to the show going on, please be there so we can check audio so I can, I can do stuff with you. And it's like, as, as the show openers playing, I watch it pop up on my screen. Bloop. Well, you said the show was at eight. Yes. I also told you to come on at seven fifty. Yeah. but in a scenario like that. Um, well, that's the difference between me. pro and amateur. So, you know, I had plenty of amateurs that, thought they could just cruise in and walk on stage. And I'd say, no, uh, you're out of here. Um, or no, you're going to have to wait now because somebody that was doing the job correctly, they may not be as funny as you, but they respected the stage. They're going to get your stage time and you're going to have to wait until the end. Um, there was also a lot of uh, prima donnas, you know, acts that, you know, were already on TV and had an attitude and they wanted to, uh, be treated a certain way. And I'm a really down to earth guy and I would just, you know, n nothing phases me. So I, I you know, they'd want to be treated like a star and, eh, you know, I'm paying you, you work for me. You know, it's so funny because Jay Leno is a terrific guy, terrific comic. He makes probably 50,000 a show. He's, he's one of the world's best entertainers. And I'm so proud. I got a chance to work with him a number of times, including some, large sold out concerts, but when, and he's, you know, filthy, filthy rich and successful, but uh, you know, at the time he worked for me. <laughs> right. And, and, and he's one of those rare. And he respected animals. that by the way. Now, what do you, now when, I, I definitely want folks to know that when, depending upon what age you are, Jay Leno, 
even when he was on the Tonight Show, was still doing stand up, would still show up at clubs. Oh, he still show, is, yeah. Would still run material on the stage. It, he he has an addiction to it. But now when you say that Jay Leno worked for you and respected it, in that environment. So so I know I have a good buddy of mine Keith. He he's not able to listen tonight. Um but I know a few guys that, that this is what the business they want to get into. They want to be stand-up comedians. I, I I want to sit behind this mic and have this conversation. I give nothing but respect to somebody who can walk up on that stage and do that. And I've done plenty of stage-related things, most of them with a chicka-chicka-bow-bow related to it of some sort. <laughs> um, but what do you say to somebody who – like, like there's rules. Everything has rules. There's unwritten rules that you have to learn. But until you're into that world, you don't know those rules. Are there any cardinal rules or cardinal sins like that you don't know? Like Amanda Love does drag shows. We love Amanda Love and, and, and the drag queens. And they had to teach me what those shows were about. What were the etiquette? I do comic cons all the time. I, there's etiquette. Bring your water. Bring your deodorant brush your teeth. These seem like silly things, but guess what, folks? People don't do those things. What is the well, etiquette for a the, new stand-up comedian? Right, right. And uh, the, the thing that I think is the easiest way to answer that question, Sean, and thanks for having good questions, is that whether it's a Dana Carvey, Jerry Seinfeld, or Jay Leno, the professionals, when I'm paying them, they understand that I'm the producer and they're the talent and it just like it, you go down to Target, there's a boss and an employee that if I say this is how much time you do or, you know, don't do this topic in this particular audience for this particular reason, they're professional enough to respect me and the stage and go that route. Now, there's plenty of amateur comics that don't understand that relationship sometimes you know, uh, it's so funny at my club, we had a big hook and there'd be somebody on stage that just thought he was killing and, and him having fun was more important than the other two acts that had to follow him. And I had no qualms of using the hook and pulling him off stage or just walking out there in the middle of their bit and go, hey, time's up. You know, I had the light. You had your five minutes. You know, that's one of the secrets that maybe your audience doesn't know. All clubs have a red light that only the comics can see or some signal in uh, the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, they would flash a light on a picture in the back of the room. And that's to tell the entertainer, it's time to wrap up. You got less than five minutes to finish. So get to your clothes because the comics, some of them are really aware of the time, but if they're really rocking and rolling, they lose track of time and it's up to the producer to make sure they're aware that, okay, your time's about coming up, get to your big clothes and get off. And it doesn't matter if you're Seinfeld or Bob up the street. If you don't respect the stage and do the time you're getting allowed on that stage, uh, for example, if you misabuse the stage, doesn't matter how big a name you are, you won't be back. You'll lose money. Wow. So, what do you? What's your advice to somebody who's out there that that currently is sitting there going? Um, you know, I, I'm really considering this world or, or I'm thinking about getting into comedy, it, you know, and, and 
I don't think you would say this, but not the typical. Like, don't do it. It's a tough world. It's bullshit. Oh no, no, everybody. I think everybody should get on stage sometime just just to have that experience. Like you talked about stage fright yeah. and the guts it takes to get on stage. Even if you're just emceeing an event or introducing a singer or a different talent, getting on stage is such a, uh, a uh, important part of self-esteem and building your own self-image and having faith in yourself that I think everybody should try it. But the answer to your question, Sean, I'm so glad you asked, is go to scottscomedystuff.com and there's Scott's Comedy Course and I'll teach you everything you need to know to go from amateur to professional. Diddy! All right, now that's a rolling. I meant that one. That was bad. That was wrong. It was supposed to be this one. I hey! But... But no, like, I mean, absolutely, folks. Check out scottscomedystuff.com. Scott's got it all on there. You can see what he did. He's also got links to his show on there. That's one of those kind of things because, you know, I, I don't know about anybody else with, with any of this other stuff. But, I mean, I've thought about it. But I, I couldn't imagine. I don't think I got anything. Like, like even writing a joke, you know. I, well, I couldn't imagine what that. That's a talent in and of itself. Right. And Sean, and you're absolutely correct. A professional, of course, but even amateurs, you should try to have your own material. But there's plenty of times that somebody would uh, go up and, and borrow material if it was their one and only time on stage. I think the audience is going to allow that if they know it's a showcase. And by the way, Jeanette's asking a really good question and the answer cannot be answered. Um I've seen and worked with hundreds of comics from uh, Dana Carvey to Seinfeld, as I mentioned, Saget, uh, but lots of guys that aren't famous, Tim Bedore, Jeff Jenna, Steve Bruner, uh, really, really funny people, Mark Yaffe, that you've never heard of that are tremendously funny. The answer that's closest to Jeanette's question is, and you want to Google this guy, Larry Miller. He has done over 100 TVs and TV shows and movies. You're going to see his face, and you're going to go, oh, that guy. Uh, he was in Pretty Woman, a famous scene in Pretty Woman. But when it came to stand-up comedy, he could tell the best story. He wasn't a joke guy. He was a story guy. He would keep the audience riveted and laughing for 20 minutes, and then at the end, Absolutely. you're laughing so hard. Do you recognize him? Absolutely. Yeah, Larry Miller, one of the best and funniest stand-up comics in the history of my club, but just one of many. I mean, I've had Robin Williams on my stage, so it's hard to say that anyone's funnier than somebody else. Yeah, he's amazing. But uh, Dana Carvey, uh, impressions, music, comedy, are a really good friend of mine, really funny, Dave Coulier. Uh, I, I mean, I can name drop forever. It goes on and on. Yeah, cut it out. Um Good memory, Sean. And Dave Coulier, there's a famous song written about Dave Coulier. Go, oh, yeah. You can go look it up. It launched a career. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he's a great guy. Was uh, Worked well with the uh, staff, and they used to go out and play tag football. We used to take the comics bowling after the shows. Uh, a lot of these guys are real down to earth and a lot of fun. And I'm just, you know, scratching the surface. I've had a chance to work with uh, so many um, – you know, uh, talented, talented people. Now, I've been very blessed. I, I, I want to keep going on with everyone's question. Yeah, Nate, the hurricane didn't do nothing up here in, in Albany. That one that was supposed to get here did nothing. Um, 
And but Nate wants to know, have you ever worked? And I saw this guy live, and I thought he did a great show. And he filled filled the uh, the Times Union Center. Jeff Dunham, you ever work with Jeff Dunham? No, he he uh, actually got his start a little bit uh, towards the mid to late nineties, and I was uh, didn't work with him. Uh, Dave Strassman and Willie Tyler and Lester, Jay Johnson were the famous ventriloquist I worked with. Jay Johnson was on the TV show Soap with yep. his uh, buddy Bob. And the I Willie Tyler and Lester. Dope. Yeah. So uh, amazing. Yeah. Harry Anderson and Jay Johnson were buddies and they would come and play my club together all the time. And he's a tremendous uh, ventriloquist. Willie Tyler and Lester, uh, who got a start in Detroit, used to travel with uh, the Su- Supremes and, and other famous Detroit Motown acts. He was an original Motown act. Uh, Dave Strassman. He was amazing ventriloquist. He was one of the first guys to have an animatronic dummy. So he'd do his whole show like a normal ventriloquist. And then he and the dummy, and I can't remember his name, uh, would get in a fight, which they always did. And he would leave the dummy sitting on the stool and he would leave. And there'd be this great like two minute pause. And then the dummy would turn his head and look around and go, is that asshole gone? And let's talk about him. (laughs) It was. It always scared the audience because you know right. uh, the movie with the the doll um, was had been out. Poltergeist or Chucky or Chucky. Any, oh, it was Chucky. Outplay. You know where a doll all of a sudden comes to life. So Chucky had been out and was kind of famous. And then you have this guy with a, an animatronic uh, ventriloquial figure, and it was it was always through the audience. It was amazing. So Dave Strassman is somebody you know keep an eye out for. He's still out performing. But uh, Tom McTeague, another terrific guy that was on the TV show Baywatch, very funny comic, um, just got married a few weeks ago. I mean, uh, there's there's just a, a wealth of entertainment out there. Now, One of my personal friends, very funny, Bob Worley. I'm uh-huh. throwing out names because these are No, I don't know that, Bob uh, Worley. Some of these names I don't know. Some of them, when you, if you tell me what they're from. So you brought up Soap. Jay Johnson how, show. How freaking great was soap and and that was like like there i you know you bring that one up i don't know if i've ever watched and and i watched it probably reruns because i was born in 76 so i was probably watching either usa or tbs reruns of it or something along those lines but that was such an amazing show and i've there's never been one like it or after it well it was one of the early kind of uh, counterculture shows. So it was soap was all about making fun of soaps were huge in the seventies um, and the sixties, and it was really mocking uh, that kind of serial TV. And what was great was they were openly mocking their own industry by doing this bizarre comedy. Um, there's been a few, you know, like it sense that kind of went that were uh, making fun of an industry or TV itself. Um, but it was, soap was the first and, uh, uh, Jay Johnson and his, and his, uh, uh, ventriloquial figure, Bob were, uh, big regulars on that show and, and, uh, terrific ventriloquist. Now, now you, and now you said three TV series that you produced. I did a, uh, one hour special for Fox. And then I did a, sh- a series, a 12 show series for uh, ABC and a, uh, 16 show series for NBC, uh, but it was all regional. It okay. wasn't a national show. And wow. it was basically live at laughs. It was my, we were taking 
taping shows live at my club and, and airing them. And it was uh, a lot of fun, but it taught me a lot about the industry. Okay. And, oh, and, and I was the host. Well, that's, that's, what's, <laughs> that's what's most important. Hey, See, I, you know, I got my TV. Uh, what is it? Uh, 15 seconds of fame, 15, 15 minutes, minutes of fame. fame. Now, well, see, I, I asked that because I'm so, you you had kind of brought this up to my mind, and we, we just hit the hour mark, so you got to let me know, Scott. I can just talk. I, I have that horrible disease of I can just. Well, we talk. don't want Jeanette and Amanda and everybody to fall asleep. Well, they they won't. They'll they'll stick it out. But what I was thinking about is TV. Do we have? We don't have. I don't think we have good sitcoms anymore. Like you brought up Fuller House. Fuller House was a good rebirth of a sitcom but i was thinking about this soap was great benson was great sanford and son was great oh all in the family all in the family there's that that genre and then you move it forward when you used to have tgi uh tgi fridays when you used to like you wouldn't go out until after the Friday shows were over or the Thursday. <laughs> right. Nobody's over. got that hold. TV doesn't have the hold it used to because everybody's watching their, their little phone screen. But I would say the Big Bang Theory, which, by the way, another comic is wow, a look producer at that. of that. You said so, that. Look at that. Ah, as soon as you said it, Nate answered you. Yeah. Big Bang Theory, I think, is the most recent really successful story where people got into the characters. It was really well written and funny year after year. And the producer on that used to be a stand-up comic. His name's uh, Mark Sandrowski. Look for his name when you uh, watch the show. But he used to be a stand-up comic. And uh, uh, I think uh, Big Bang Theory um, is, you know, this generation's uh, the Seinfeld show, right? I mean, Seinfeld was a very popular show. Uh, The Tim Allen show uh, was huge. I mean, there's there's been some sporadically... But I would say you're correct that the 70s really broke the ground on a lot of important sitcoms and 80s. Do you know how many episodes of Seinfeld I've watched? No. Ah, (laughs) Was that your middle finger? It could be. Uh, (laughs) I've watched one. I watched the very final episode. Oh, that was their worst. Only because everybody's like, this is going to be so historic. It's, you know, simulcast, you know. Uh, I thought that was their worst of the whole series, but that's my two cents. And people that were really into Seinfeld thought it was okay. I, I, I was not a fan of the final show, but Jerry uh, uh, is one of those guys you were mentioning, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno both still do stand up comedy as often as they can. And there's not a lot of actors slash comedians that you can say that about. Janetta, I've only watched one and I did, but see, I'm, I'm like weird. I, I always, my friends always tell me I'm weird with the show. So I can't get into Seinfeld. I find nothing interesting about it. I didn't like, uh, what's the other one about meth? Um, the show, the show about meth. Um, you know, I don't know that one. Yes, you do. Um, Oh uh, God, what the hell is the show? They're in Arizona and they're cooking meth and, um, I guess I missed that Somebody one. Somebody will send it here in a second. I can't think of the name of the damn show. Yeah. I don't uh, watch that, that much look, see, TV. Breaking but... Bad. I knew Tom would jump in out of nowhere. Breaking Bad. I... Oh, I ne- see, I never saw that. It wasn't my cup don't of tea. I don't watch <laughs> it. It's so... You know, my, my brother was a, 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 
a, a guest of the feds and the state for many years, and I visited several prisons. That was enough for me. That was good enough. <laughs> like, like I just like that's a perfect example. And you know, and, and we've talked about comedy being subjective. Breaking Bad to me, I tried, and it was one of those shows where I binged it, watching like folding laundry, and people were like, "I'm like, this is bad. Watch the second season; it gets better." This, this <laughs> bad. Well, too bad. Watch you know, the there's. Another one, Sean, that I don't understand, but is is doing really well, is The Walking Dead. I'm going to delete you now. <laughs> you get deleted. You're I've never wrong. seen a single one, but I'm not into that kind of, yeah, you know, that. you know, everybody's got a different Piccadilly, and that's uh, that's not one of mine. I don't get into uh, that stuff. But why don't we uh, bring this back down, Sean, yeah, to get ready. a controlled podcast conversation. Give me your best question. My best question. God, I think I gave you all my best questions. <laughs> I think we've done this, but but you know what? Well, I, I, I guess got a story. Probably be the one. So, serial entrepreneur. You've owned clubs. You've owned. You've you've done TV series. You've, you've produced things. You've got this. You know. You've had the 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 tiki hut in Hawaii. The submarine. You've had all these different plethora of things that that you've done scott um what's the one if today somebody said hey you've got to go back and do blank and this is it what's the one that you say okay i'm gonna go do this well the the com the chain of comedy clubs and doing comedy was really the most exciting the one that i would go back and and probably redo was the uh, submarine so i'll get share that story real quick so i'm involved with a company called snuba i'm one of the original owners snuba is underwater snorkeling it's all over the world you can't go anywhere where there's ocean and there's not a snuba company it's underwater snorkeling basically the guys that uh started that started building these semi-submersible submarines and they launched one in hawaii and i helped them launch it i helped them build it i was in the shipyards of uh Oahu, uh, putting on the final screws and decals and stuff. And I was so excited about it. Uh, and it was a huge success in Hawaii uh, that I said, I'm going to have a submarine. So I got a couple partners and we, we built a submarine and we launched it in Monterey Bay. And we had there for about a year and a half. But that was one of my biggest failures because Monterey Bay is such cold water there was algae bloom all the time. And so we had to pay a diver to be cleaning the windows all the time so the guests could see the otters and the sea lions and the kelp forest. So that failed. We ended up selling the uh, submarine to the Wrigley Gum family, and it still operates in Catalina Island. But that was something that was really weird. I probably didn't need to spend the money. I did it because I just thought it would be fun, and I lost my ass. <laughs> And if you've never been to Monterey, they have an amazing aquarium. Oh, yeah. There's lots to see. And co cold is a understatement for California. Yeah, it's not and, an ocean you want to jump in. And that is actually, I don't know if you knew this, but that is where the Defense Language Institute is. For Ooh. all the U.S. military go to Monterey, California to learn how to speak foreign languages. I did not know that. Mon and to answer Nathan's question, we, we, we kind of covered that with Larry Miller, but, you know, Robin Williams, Dana Carvey, Jerry, they were all uh, terrifically funny people and many more you haven't heard of. Steve Bruner, Bob Worley, uh, Jeff Jenna, Tim Bador, 
uh, Mark Schiff out of New York, very funny guy. Uh, there's been such a, a, but I appreciate you asking, Nathan. It's it's just when you've worked with hundreds of entertainers, it's it's difficult to pick one or two. Um, but uh, Sean, th this has been such a great experience, and I hope your audience enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed being in this kind of casual, uh, above the bar. I mean, I had a cocktail. We had some good laughs, and uh, uh, you do a great job. Thank you, sir. Uh, well, we appreciate having you. And this is how you can tell a man who knows his timelines and knows where everything is because he's putting us all together, setting it up. So, obviously, Scott, we can find you at scottscomedystuff.com. Yeah, be sure to check out the comedy course. There's a membership uh, video thing where you can see, uh, I mean, you could see Bob Saget on stage in 1982. It's amazing. Dana Carvey doing his song Chopping Broccoli years before he was on Saturday Night Live. Quick story about Dana Carvey that your audience might enjoy. Uh, he was working for me as a regular out of the Bay Area. We were very good friends. And he was working for me on a Saturday. And after the show, we went to a... Uh, uh, where he was staying we were all in the jacuzzi having cocktails and talking about the evening and he goes hey by the way i just had a call from lauren michaels i go to new york next week to showcase for saturday night live and we celebrated and in, in, in the night in the um jacuzzi that night with him but he was scared it was like yeah this is really a great opportunity but i'm like this local comic musician and I'm going to New York. It was really uh, an exciting time. And of course, he, he got the gig and went on to fame and fortune. But one of his famous songs, Chopping Broccoli, the video of that is on my membership. That is so amazing. So obviously that we can find all this on scottscomedystuff.com. Make sure you folks check it out. We also have your podcast, which is... Stand Up Comedy, your hosted MC. It's so, on all the directories, Apple, Spotify, iHeart. Check it out, uh, Stitchers. And uh, just like Sean's podcast, it's so important to like and share. Tell your friends about it because what makes us survive, and we're not doing this for money. We do it for the love of what we're doing. So share it with people and get it out there because uh, we love an audience, don't we, Sean? That, oh, God. I'm such a tramp for it. I can't even do this. <laughs> well, I, you were flashing a little skin earlier, man. You're going way out there to get people. Oh, it felt so much better to put on a shirt that fit right. It was ridiculous. It was like, like the shirt was great. And I love Fox. We had the, that's a whole nother thing. We had the international professional wrestling hall of fame, our first live in-person event. Yeah. Um, I saw your interviews. They were fun. I can't wait. Sidebar, I know we got to get ready to wrap this up. Susan Sexton. Oh. She was a pro wrestler from the 70s through the 90s in Australia and in the United States. And just like yourself, Scott, one of those kind of people that were there, you saw it, you can talk about it, you experienced it. She was that person that, like, when I talked to her, she's – and do you know what shoot wrestling is? I don't think so. So she learned how to shoot. What shoot is, is when you watch wrestlers and they're they're doing their moves. So working is, you, just like a comedian, you're working. You you and I, we worked tonight. We passed it back and forth. We knew what we were doing. Here you right. go. Here it's you go. it's oh. a team event. You know, it's, it's a team event. Shoot is when you, I pass it to you, and for the next 10, 15 minutes, you run away with it, and I'm trying to talk, and you just run over me. 
and shoot when I come back and I just nail you and remind you, like, this is my mother. <laughs> so she was like, she she told me, she was like, Sean, I, I learned to wrestle in Australia and I learned there was no other women. I learned to shoot with the men. Wow. So she learned how to like turn the screws on somebody if you screwed up. Amazing woman, amazing conversation. Well, I'll be looking for that interview. It sounds like a blast. So much fun. I got to get her back. And she lives here in Albany. That was the crazy. Oh, wow. She's here in Albany with me. So we're anything coming up, anything other than, you know, obviously we have Clubhouse. Well, Clubhouse, you don't have to be invited to anymore, right? No, you just uh, go into Clubhouse, 6 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time, 9 o'clock your time, and look for the room is called Laughs, Adding Humor to Podcast. But it's me, two professional comics, a professional comedy writer, and a professional speaker. And what we do is we offer advice in discussion about uh, comedy and podcasting. It's a club pod room. So if you get a chance, check it out. Come join us some Monday. Uh, Sean, you'd be a great addition. I, I You'll have to send me a message because I am the most. This is the only thing that I know is happening once a week. <laughs> this is it. Past here. And this, well, thanks wife, for having me. My, my wife will tell you, like, I, I shut down all family events. They're like, oh, we got, um, it's Wednesday. It's almost eight o'clock. I don't know what nothing to do with you people. We're done. So yeah, my wife knows that she's abandoned every uh, Monday at six. <laughs> see? So so she appreciates, maybe we should set share phone numbers between the two of them. They can talk. They, yeah, they can call and complain about us. They, they hey, Sean, great show. Great audience. Absolutely. I love that watchers and listeners uh participate i don't have that on my podcast oh, uh, in that. fact i'm about to produce my 100th show and i'm trying to get my listeners to uh contact me so i can interview them for that 100th show so uh hopefully uh i can get the kind of reaction you're getting because it makes it a lot more fun sorry I'm not getting my Jeanette. <laughs> i don't want to steal your crowd all right but it's but been actually, great being here and you have good people go look go subscribe any other places we can find you before we shut this down? Uh, no, scottscomedystuff.com has everything. I just wrote another book, my third, and that'll be out in a couple weeks. So uh, just stay tuned and check out the podcast. That's the biggest thing. Again, it's a passion of uh, love for stand-up comedy, the interviews, and there's a lot of great comedy. Uh, I hope you do and uh, uh, share it with family and friends, just like Sean's podcast. We're all in this uh, together, right, sir? At 100%. One last thing, Scott, do not log off after I play this. You get the last word. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to stay a listener and member of Above the Bar, Sean's very special podcast. Tell your friends, connect them, and let's build this audience. It's been a great pleasure being on the show. Thank you, Sean. All righty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.